0: Today is July 3rd, and we have some snippets, some interviews, some soundbites, some info to bring your way, including your very own Aaron Boone. So let's do it. Let's talk Yanks. Talking Yanks with old John Boy, John Boy
1: Jake. Recaps galore, and weekly awards, stat lines, steaming hot takes. Your Yankee news with these two findings.
0: It's time for Talking Yanks. Talking Yanks with Old
2: John Boy, John Boy and Jake. Talking Yanks with Old John Boy, John Boy and Jake.
0: What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to Talking Yanks. My name is Jimmy, and sitting next to me is Jake. BBD producer BBD in the corner. We have a little bit of a different show for everyone today. Mm. a Little fun show. A little little July Fourth is coming up, and the season's about to kick off. And Jake and I are take, giving ourselves a four day weekend, preparing for the grind, but a fun show nonetheless. Jake, how are you doing on this fantastic? We're recording on Wednesday.
2: The grund. I'm good, Jim. We just walked to the stadium. Mm. Um, kind of for funsies. The players were reporting, so we thought we'd report. Uh, saw a friend of the family, Brandon Cuddy, there. Uh, there was nothing going on. Um, we heard that Tommy Canley made multiple trips to the stadium. So take that. Do whatever you want with it. And he was wearing an Eagles mask. Um, the least surprising news.
0: Higgy was there, and Clint was there, and
2: Chad Green was there. The history of the world. So uh, I'm doing good, Jim. I, uh, as you know, and we discussed on John Boy Jake Radio... I uh, I kind of lost my cool today, in excitement, in a fun way. Jakey excitements. I thought uh, I thought for the month of July I was gonna be this doing this nervous like is a full team gonna get COVID like is is something gonna happen in the world that's gonna prevent me from getting baseball this year. I made the decision that I'm all in. Um, so there I'm as of now I'm living that baseball will be back this month. Um, and I'm going to enjoy that And, okay. you know, hopefully July could either be the best month of this year Or best month since, like, February Or how, however you want to measure it It's been a little while Uh, sports And, you know, a chunk of it is baseball But I'm a, I'm a sports guy My original AOL screen name was Sports Jake So the closer I can get to my regular sports Like, I was I was trying to think, like In a normal world like I don't go days without watching live sports Like of the four major sports I'd say over the past 20, 20 years of my life mm-hmm. I'd say I don't think I've gone 48 hours without watching live sports Like I don't know Like it, it's something ridiculous So I'm I'm excited I'm jazzed up and uh, let's let's get some baseball. And I'll see my mom this weekend. So that's yes. nice. So, in conclusion, you like sports? Like sports, like my mom. Ooh, okay. Me, too? Yeah, I like sports, too.
0: Sports,
3: and we don't care who knows. From shooting hoops to the Super
2: Bowl.
1: We like sports, and we don't care who
2: knows. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. We like sports. So, and our moms.
4: Yeah,
0: true. Uh, last week, We told you guys that we had like a little... There was like a virtual hangout with Aaron Boone. What was the company that sponsored it? We told you not to get excited.
2: TickPick. Might be a friend of the family soon.
0: TickPick. Yes. So we were in there. A lot of other people were in there. So we were going to play you some answers that Boone had regarding resting players, regarding strength of schedule, and some other stuff. And then we figured that we've been interviewing a lot of players on Talking Baseball, and majority of the conversation is not about the Yankees. But since it is Jake and I, we do get there quite often. Yes. So we're going to give you guys, uh, Talking Yanks listeners, some of the snippets from these athletes that we talked to that pertain to the Yankees. Yes. So yeah. first, we're going to do Aaron Boone. First question, the only question we got to answer, or we got to ask, that we, uh, a lot of people took some good questions. but When it yeah. came to us, the thing that's been on my mind. You're on, on Yeah, this. the thing that's been on my mind the most is strength of schedule, and how are the Yankees going to attack that since the games are not weighted even close to evenly? Oh, no. <laughs> What's up, Booney? we uh, are ya? We're in the Bronx, so we're ready for you if you need us to shag balls or anything. Uh, <laughs> have, you, have you thought about the weighted schedule at all? 40 games against the AL East are much more important than the 20 against the NL East, and we know you like to rest guys and, and kind of you know space out the, uh, the back-to-backs and all that. Well, do you think there's more emphasis on uh, you know winning the division, especially when the other teams are playing completely different teams? You know, the, the two Easts are pretty
4: good.
5: Yeah, I mean it's, I mean you look at the East and you, you know it's it's going to be a lot of tough games and a lot of tough opponents on a given night. Look, always um, divisional games always carry a little bit more weight with us. Um, you know, certainly last year and. You know, anytime you're playing the Rays, obviously, who was our main competition in the division last year from a standing standpoint, um, you know, in a lot of ways, we treat those count as double, you know, because you're you're giving your foe a loss. So um, the division games always bring a little added importance. um, But in a 60 game scenario, um, you know, where competition is going to be fierce, where who knows what's going on in the other divisions that you don't have any any control over? Sixty games, we gotta we gotta we gotta play well.
0: There you have it, Booney. Kind of a runaround answer, if I remember correctly, but also kind of like yes,
2: they are. He the was, division is more. Important. He was into it, and I mean, I think it's it's where the gap between you and me right now. Like I'm still, you know, every game has a ton of importance. I could see like kind of I said, you know, if they play a two-game set against the Nationals and they win the first one, you know, I I think maybe you'll see some of that to gear up for three against Tampa or the, you know, if if another team's competing in the East. But it's it's so tight together that you almost, you know, there's only so much juggling you could do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those uh, I think you are going to see them empty the tank a little more against the divisional teams, which does make sense mathematically. Especially bullpen and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah.
0: This guy asked Aaron Boone about it being a sprint and not a marathon, and Booney's answer, will play it right now, was kind of funny because he was basically saying, I'm going to be more annoyed by the narrative that gets written about than the actual change stop in it. gameplay.
2: Let's stop it before we start people.
0: Basically yes, like, the season is shorter. Yeah. The season's shorter. Please Hot takes. don't make it a narrative. Hot it's going to be so annoying. Here it is.
5: Um, I mean, that's, <clears throat> I'll be more annoyed with the narrative of it all because of course, that's like, you, you got to pick something out of, um, you know, obviously a 60 game season. So that's going to be the conversation in overdrive after every game, you know, the first game of the year, Oh, you can't afford to – oh, and this team's off to a good start. So I think it'll be my job, our job, our job as a team to not get so caught up in that. You, you still got to lock in day-to-day on the game. That's where our focus will be. Um, you know, obviously, when you look back, you're going to need to avoid a, a poor stretch of playing, um, whereas maybe more so than other years, a team that has – Comes out of nowhere is is probably a little more realistic, um, but our focus will be on first and foremost. You know, hopefully we kick this thing off on July 3rd after getting tested, and and we're it's go time. You know, it's spring training. It's locked in. I feel like we have a pretty good plan in place about how we're going to attack from day one to try and get us ready, so that when July 23rd or 24th, whatever it is, hits, like we're in a position best and um that's going to be challenging but that's kind of the focus and trying not to get caught up into this streak that we're gonna gonna have or not gonna have it's about july 3rd right now and how do we best get our players ready um when that bell rings because obviously uh there's going to be some urgency
0: the other question that i like the most in this little chat we had was someone asked him about resting guys and he kind of flipped it a little in my brain because he, was, was, he his answer, and we can play it right now and then we'll talk about it. His answer was, yeah. was basically injury hurts more. So here you go.
5: Um, as far as different, I mean, first and foremost, we're starting the year with 30 players. So that's unique in and of itself. Um, I, I would like to think that that's something that will serve us well. Us being the Yankees because I have a lot of confidence in who I think is our twenty. Well, this year because we're going to twenty six anyway, but from twenty six to our thirtieth man on the roster, yeah. um, they're really good players for us. Like if you you know do the math on who those guys might potentially be, um, those are guys we have a lot of confidence in. So hopefully that depth, especially in the early days. Um, when you still may be working guys back um, will play an important role for us. Um, it'll be interesting to me to see where we are after three weeks spring training, as far as building our pitchers up, we're trying to build them up as best and as safely as we can. I think there's going to be that temptation the first 10 days and two weeks because of the urgency to maybe push guys. Um, I think that, could, I think that's a dangerous thing potentially because you, you lose a horse early or a couple guys go down early because you're, you're pushing that envelope. Um, this, their season could be wrecked and, and done right. and then you're, and then you're up against it. So we've got to be able to lean on our depth a little bit in those early days. I'm confident in that. Um, as far as different, you know, especially once we get rolling, um, you know, you're you're in the you're in the stretch drive. You're in a pennant race. So, um, I, I hate to say there's more urgency because, I mean, we show up every day. There's a lot of urgency. It's just a little bit different, and and it is more of a sprint at that point. But I think it's going to be important to exercise a little bit of patience in that first week to ten days, especially with starting pitchers. Thank you, guys. Oh, see you. All
0: right. So basically, saying that. He's not going to go full bore out the gate because in a 162 season, if you go full bore, you know, you can risk injury, but that guy will probably get injured, recover, and be able to play for the playoffs. He's like, if you risk injury this year, you're losing the guy for the whole season, so you almost have to go
2: really delicate. If you're out for a month, it's normally a shrug in baseball where here – yeah, you can, you can lose your old season. And those are some of the early reports we've gotten back to when people have been blowing up those quotes because I think there's a, a Stanton quote that was like, basically, he will be playing DH, um, and they're going to ease him into the field. And, you know, I, I, I kind of get it if you're the person screaming, like, how long has this guy gotten to get healthy? But, it, and it is the tricky part of this sprint season, like, yes, we need to win games, and we want to win the East, and... But there will also be a build up to the playoffs. So it it doesn't make sense to run Giancarlo Stan out there six days a week in left field, especially when at the start of the season, we don't need that. And we've got other guys we like too.
0: Yeah. So it kind of eased my mind a little bit because I knew they were going to do rest days and stuff like that. But now it does make sense. Like, hey, Gary pulls his hamstring for a month, that's basically the whole season. Yeah.
2: Those first, I think the first two weeks are going to be almost a little frustrating. I do, too. I think everyone is going to be rotating in and out almost daily. Yeah. Uh, about the Giancarlo DH thing, did
0: you read Brian Cashman's full quote? It's really nothing.
2: Yeah. It's it's a, He's like he
0: hasn't played outfield in three months, so we don't know if he's ready yet, but he should be good once he's out there. Right now he can DH because he's been hitting in a cage and swinging.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's... It was really nothing. Yeah, he's trying to keep things, uh, you know, expectations low. And, dude, I mean, you know, Giancarlo Stanton... Didn't play a lot of games in outfield last year. Yeah. Um. So they're they're going to take it one step at a time with them, which mm-hmm. should piss a lot of you off for no reason.
0: All right, so we're going to switch from Booney to some players we had on. We interviewed Lance Lynn. He called in from, like, a flip phone. He didn't even have an yeah. iPhone to
2: call in from. And that's obvious.
0: Yeah. And obviously we got, we talked about his time on the Yankees and all that, and he had some really cool answers where he didn't just give the basic – best fan you know it didn't lance, seem like pander
2: lance was great he admitted that he gives pander answers after he pitches if he wins he says you know it was a great team game and i felt good if he loses he said i had to do better but it was funny when we interviewed him um it wasn't that like he was just talking talking with the dudes so yeah. so lance. here here he
0: is on his time with the yankees
6: for me growing up i was a yankees fan i gotta put on the pinch head in Yankee Stadium, I was like, "Man, I finally made it to the big leagues." That's what it felt
0: like. Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about thank that you. because
2: thank you. A lot,
0: <laughs> a lot of guys come over and say that. You know, I grew up a Yankees fan, and I always wonder how much is bullshit and uh, fan service, and how much is real. But I mean, your your dad grew up. Your dad was a Yankee fan while you were growing up. Is yeah, that the history I,
6: there? Yeah, yeah. So I remember, like in the in the nineties when it was all going down. Uh, you know, when the core four and everybody was doing their thing. uh – I was a huge, huge Yankees fan, and I was, like, 10 to 12 to 13 years old, so I got to go play in the Little League World Series, and it was just kind of one of those things where Yankees were always on TV, and you loved them. You loved Jeter. Like, you know, you, you could that you played the game, did everything the right way, and it's just like you watch like – I remember watching Clemens and uh, Pettit and Messina and all those guys just just go after it, and, and then, you know, you had uh, the best – closer of all time watching him play so it's like you were a little spoiled and I was like I want to play you know I want to be on on that stage or I want to play with those guys you know you didn't get a chance because uh you know most of them were retired but that was what you always thought like if I ever make the big leagues I want to be them and then to be able to put on the same uniform as him was awesome
0: yeah I mean that's okay not bullshit I love it
2: yeah you uh <laughs> I know you can't see us, but. It- that that just made us so happy because we can hold that over Trevor Plouffe's head for a, a little while. So thank you so much.
0: What I love about watching you pitch is the mentality you bring to the mound. We're Yankees fans, so when you got traded over, I mean, it was just a ton of fun. That first start I think you made in Chicago after the Yankees got blown out in the Red Sox by the Red Sox. I mean, you shut the White Sox down, but you were also screaming, yelling on the mound, bringing this like kind of. I don't know just bravado is that is that mindset or who you are on the mound do you have to mentally get yourself there or is that just naturally who you are when you're out when you're out there
6: no there's just something that happens when I'm standing on a mound and someone's trying to hit against me that just it's just pure anger that takes over uh and I've had it my whole life so I had to learn how to uh, tame it down a little bit because younger in my uh days especially with the Cardinals it was oh he has a bad attitude and then when I've weird part about it is when you start pitching better it's like oh man he's a bulldog no I'm still the same guy with the same <laughs> meanness that I was before but if you pitch a little better you're a bulldog if you struggle you have a bad attitude so I just decided if I pitch better no one will talk to me about it anymore and they'll leave me alone and it worked
0: yeah I mean I remember you That's struck out right. you yeah. struck out Palka and the White Sox during that game and just turned turned off the mountain and screamed, uh, fuck you, motherfucker, and walked (laughs) off. And the mics picked it up, and it was like, hell yeah. I love this guy.
6: It just pops out every once in a while. I try to hold those in because you don't want to – I mean, when it's all said and done, you don't want to – you know, that was nothing at him. It's just one of those things where I get going, and it kind of takes over. So it's never at a player unless uh, – I've actually never yelled directly to a player or at a player. Just Sometimes it just comes out, and that's just the – unfortunate thing of it but uh you know it's okay because when i get a, give up a homer and they want to fit me i'm okay with it they, yeah. they got me part nah. of it so, uh, yeah it's
0: just in the moment I'm, it's I'm like cc cool it. uh is very similar to you in that way where he's always yelling and screaming but it's nothing personal <laughs> did you guys have a yeah. good connection when you came to new york
6: yeah man it was it was awesome to uh to play with him i've, I've had the luxury of playing with you know a, a, quite a few like really good competitors and he was You know, he was awesome to be around, pick his brain, uh, talk to him about, you know, everything that he's gone through in his career and, you know, you know, how he's able to, he went from a power guy to, you know, uh, being able to do what he did at the end of his career with, you know, manipulating both sides of the plate, using that cutter and stuff like that. So it was really awesome to, to be with him, uh you know, that uh, half of that year to uh, – I mean, heck, I saw him pitch my – it feels like my whole life. I told him that when I got to him, I was like, man, I feel like I've seen you pitch since I was like four years old. Uh, but it was a little – I was a little older than that when he came up with Cleveland. But it was, it was definitely a – you know, when you get to play with guys like that, it's like one of those things where you feel like you've made it. Right?
0: You know, your first time out of the pen, those first four innings – if they were anything good, you were getting sunny spot. That's just kind of where that season was at that point. And then you, you do what you did in Chicago. I think it was seven innings shutout ball with nine or ten strikeouts. So then you started the rest of the season. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed watching you pitch. I mean, like I said, just constantly yelling. My favorite, Lance, was one time you struck a dude out, and then you just, you just said calmly to yourself, I'm "On right down the middle, got him.
6: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that sounds like something I'd say. Uh, progress, right I probably I, I probably went to like o two one two 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 three two trying to be cute, and then I just said, "All right, here it is." Do so it right down the middle. I was buying <laughs> like, "What were you no. doing?" Just <laughs> from the get-go,
2: <laughs> you kind of just shrugged. All right, that was Lance. We're now jumping over to Dale Scott, who, if you're not familiar, is an MLB umpire for a bunch of years. He's also the man. He's been one of our favorite interviews and in anything we've done. Doing this and uh, it's a really cool perspective. I think there's a little bit like, why would you guys interview an umpire? Um, but you forget they're right there <laughs> and they're you know they're taking it all in. So Dale's got some awesome stories. Billy Martin, Polio, a little bit more. Dale Scott.
0: The one story I want to talk about is your I think your second or third year, so you're probably still young, 28 years old. Billy Martin gets in your face and actually throws dirt right. onto
7: you. Yeah, that was the last time Billy Martin was ever rejected. It was, it was by me. It was uh, Memorial Day 1988 in Oakland. He was with the Yankees. This was uh, obviously Memorial Day. It was Monday. Uh, it was Monday night baseball. ABC used to have Monday night baseball, just like they had Monday night football. And so it was a 5 o'clock start in Oakland. And they, of course, you know watered down the infield to keep the dust down or whatever. And, uh, um, and so this was in the bottom of the third. Walt Weiss was the, the hitter for Oakland, uh, very first uh, hitter of the, of the inning. He hit a uh, a line drive, low line drive to uh, Bobby Meacham at second base. I was the first base umpire, and there was a question if, if he short hopped it or if he caught the ball. And Rick Reed was was the umpire at second base, and from my angle, it looked like he short hopped it. It was very close; he, he could have gone either way. Uh, Rick calls no catch. Um, Meacham, you know, even if even if we were wrong, if he just glanced up and saw no catch, he could throw Weiss out by. 30 feet. I mean, it's, it, it, there's, there's really, you know, he's out easy. It's not going to be a close play at first. But, but Meacham just, you know, assumed he caught the ball and, and just started throwing around the horn. So, okay. so, so Weiss, you know, is at first and here we go. They're, you know, yelling at, at Rick. And so here comes Billy out of the first base dugout and he comes right by me and he, and he said, You saw him catch the ball. And I said, No, Billy, I got him trapping it. And so he runs off and he's talking with Rick and, uh, uh, Rich Garcia was the, uh, crew chief. He was uh, at home plate. And, and John Hirschbeck was the third base. And, you know, this was my third year. I was, uh, you know, 28 and, uh, and, you know, Billy Martin, like a lot of, uh, you know, managers, they, they they will have a tendency to pick on the younger guy on the crew. I used to hate that as a young guy. And as a, an older guy, I loved it. <laughs> 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 that's neither, that's neither. Uh, but I, So they're arguing and I kind of am just drifting over there. And so all of a sudden he turns to me and he said, you saw him catch some. I said, no, Billy, he trapped it. And he said, well, you're full of blankety, blankety, blank. And so I jacked him. He personalized it and, uh, and I ran him. So he immediately started to try to kick some dirt on me. And the, the you know this was this was the bottom of the third. It, it had been a quick game up to then. The the the, the uh, dirt's still damp, and so he can't get a good kick going. You know, he's got he's <laughs> kicking, and and he can't get some dirt going. So finally, he just bends down and picks it up, and just does a a, a chest pass right into my right into my chest. My parents were in the stands they had come to the game i got them tickets and a whole bit you know and you know my mom was horrified uh she was <laughs> trying to figure out why the hell i didn't go into insurance or something and martin was was uh suspended after that that game ended up going like 14 innings and uh apparently uh after he was ejected Billy went back to the clubhouse he he had a couple uh, adult beverages in there uh, for a couple innings. And then I guess uh, one of the uh, attendants said, well, Billy, I should take you home because it was about the, you know, this game went on forever. And, uh, Tommy John. It was a funny thing that the next day, Tommy John uh, comes into our locker room before the game. He was pitching for the Yankees. He wasn't pitching that day, but uh, Tommy usually came by about once a, a series just to say hello. And a real uh, nice guy. And uh, I'm sure probably looking for a few pitches. <laughs> but that's, that's neither here nor there. I mean, Trevor's a hitter. Is going. well, wait. He did what now? Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> he looked at me he goes boy you really pissed billy off me i didn't want even my call for god's sake he came back and managed after the suspension for i don't know a few weeks and then and then steinbrenner fired him and he never managed to get uh after that so i was the last umpire to eject billy martin
0: did you have did he ever reach out is there any conversations
7: later on i don't don't remember how close it was after this oakland incident in in oakland but uh, our crew was going to new york and I got a call from the league offices to, Hey, Dale, we're going to uh, switch some guys up. Uh, and instead of going to New York with Garcia, we want you to go to you know Detroit or wherever the heck I was going I'm, to switch with uh, somebody else. I said, okay. And, and, you know, that happens. And I, I really didn't think much about it. Well, we found out later in the, in the uh, season, you know, you got to remember this 1988, this is no, uh, we didn't have email and, and uh, you know, all this stuff. Somebody actually wrote a letter to the American league office Saying if Dale Scott uh, ever comes to New York, he's leaving in a body bag. Uh, because of and I didn't know about this. The league got this letter. Uh, it was because I threw out Billy Martin, and so they had switched me from my my next New York trip. Unbeknownst to me, that's why they switched me. They told me later on uh, that that was the that was the reason. Which you know, I, I you take it with a grain of salt, but but still, it, it, it you know you think about it a little bit. <laughs>
0: I think it was Billy writing the letter with his left hand. <laughs>
7: well, yeah. very, very well, good. <laughs>
0: That's crazy. I want to talk about the 2001 World Series. I mean, it's after 9 11, the Yankees and Diamondbacks, and Bush is throwing out the first pitch, which there's so much, there's been so much retelling of that story. And a secret serviceman dressed as an umpire, I believe. What yeah. was what was that whole environment and that series like?
7: That whole thing was incredible. Game three, uh, the first game in Yankee Stadium, the president was coming. I had the plate that game. That was yeah. my play game. Uh, so so lucky me in the postseason. It's, it's 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 hilarious uh, these locker rooms suddenly have all these people in it that you don't even know who they are i mean these are front office people from mlb there's the television people there's security people it's like who are all these people yeah you know that, that show up and and so you have a lot of kind of just distractions that you don't normally have in your in your in your normal routine plus oh by the way you're getting ready to uh to umpire a, a you know behind the plate in a in a world series game at yankee stadium so hey Stay hot. So, yeah, so, 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 you, so you have all this going on. Well, now now add to that we are at the president, Jimmy Joyce, and I. We were on the crew that, that year, and we got at the stadium really early because we knew of security and everything. And to show you how how insane security was there uh, right after nine eleven at Old Yankee Stadium, we used to walk in to the press gate. There would be a guard there. They'd, we'd go down these stairs. At the bottom of the stairs would be a guard. There'd be a long hallway, and then a, another long hallway. There's a guard there. Then you walk right by the Yankee clubhouse, and then and then just a little bit farther is our clubhouse, and there's a, there's a guard there. On that, not that day, but all three games at Yankee Stadium for that World Series, there was a guard at the press gate. There was a guard at the bottom of the stairs. The long hallway, there was a guard about every 15 feet. We walk in, and there's a there's a gentleman sitting there and. and we have no idea who he is, and, uh, and our clubhouse guy. And the gentleman goes, uh, hi, I'm so-and-so Secret Service. He goes, I'll, uh, I'll be going on the field with you guys in an umpire uniform. And we said, oh, okay. I said, well, you must have seen our work then. <laughs> you know, we, have to, we, have, we have to have security come out with it. Uh, but no, but he, he had, a, he had a, a, a bulletproof vest. He had, he, he had this all underneath the uh, – uh, uh, Mark Hirschbeck was on the crew, and Mark was the guy that stayed in the tunnel so only six of us would walk out as umpires and and uh, the secret service guy was was wearing a, a, one of his pullovers. but he had a he had a, a he had a, a, a you know bulletproof vest he had a a gun underneath that he had a sidearm he had he had cuffs he had a i mean he you know he had a the earpiece i mean this guy was wired was wired up and and yeah it's exactly what they did they had two secret service guys in uh Yankee, um groundskeeper uniforms that were on the field um wow. you know the, the president went to the mound with uh you know he had the coat over he, he had a little proof vest on this whole time as you know hours like three and a half hours before game time mm-hmm. the secret service guy he had the earpiece and he'd go oh the president has just left uh, washington dc and so oh okay cool and then the pre- and we didn't know if he was going to stop by our room or not uh the the First pitch was 20 approximately eight twenty, eight twenty-five, something like that. And then about about seven forty or so, he goes, The president will be here at seven fifty-eight. We said, Oh, okay. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, we're all in there getting ready. I go in to, you know, use the facilities. And all of a sudden I heard kind of a commotion going on. I go, oh, he must have arrived. And when he when he gets there, of course, he has this whole contingent of, of Secret Service. And and when they walk in, one of the guys immediately goes just to the opposite side to that doorway just to see what Seth there you know and so uh, I'm, I've i got my back to him as so I'm standing at a urinal doing my thing and he, go- <laughs> and he goes <clears throat> you have a visitor and I look back and I said oh yeah I'll be right there <laughs> 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 just just kind of standing here you know and um, oh, it, you know wash my hands and stuff I come out so I'm the last guy to meet the president because he's come by and he said hello to everybody now George W. Bush, I knew before he was governor. He he sat right by the ranger uh, dugout, uh, right. with the rangers right right by the the ball boy. I remember going over like between innings when it was a million degrees in the, in, uh, in Arlington, and I the ball boy was out doing something, and I would just grab a couple balls in between innings. I'm sweating, and he go, uh, "Hey, uh, looks like you're sweating." <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it is Texas in July, <laughs> but but anyway, you know. Nice, nice guy. I said, uh, Mr. President, uh, Dale Scott. He, uh, he goes, Dale, yes. He goes, I remember you. You're the guy that sweats all the time at Harley's. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, said, I said, yes, sir. that That is me. <laughs> That's funny. I think it might have been the only time ever. Non-Yankee fans were kind of Yankee fans, you know, mm-hmm. for that for that World Series, yeah. just be, just because of the situation.
2: Because that two thousand one World Series, I mean, you watch the Arizona Diamondbacks walk off a of Mariano Rivera in yeah. Game Seven. Do you guys go back to the umpire room and are you guys all just looking at each other like that's incredible? Like when when's that like kind of <laughs> moment for you guys where it's like, damn, that's. Awesome. <laughs> that
7: particular game, I mean, let's face it, the Yankees go up, Rivera comes in, there's no way Arizona's going to win this game. I mean, you know, by, by the stats, Mariano just doesn't give up, uh, you know, just blow saves. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And and as it turns out, boom, 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 and, and it's over. In fact, the, the, the game-winning hit, which is just, just overdrawn in infield, I'm in that highlight every time because I'm the second-base umpire and that's uh <laughs> they're gonna that's, show
4: that forever that's amazing that's, that's, show that
7: forever yeah what? i'm just glad i didn't call in field fly but i'm just saying <laughs> uh <laughs> i wish <laughs> you did we are yankee fans you, you should did. <laughs> Now, you know, certain players may ha- or managers may have kind of a rap sheet because they get run a lot or they, they complain a lot. So you understand who you're dealing with. If, if you have a guy that hardly ever says a word and then he questions you on a pitch, you kind of go, huh, well, maybe, I, <laughs> maybe yeah. I screwed that up. But when you have a guy that moans all the time. You know, you take it with a grain of salt because sure. it's like, you know, it's like crying wolf. After a while, it's just like, you know, it doesn't really matter what I call you; are not going to like it. You know,
4: I got a few guys that I could think of that did that.
7: <laughs> Paul O'Neill was hilarious with the Yankees. I, I swear, Paul, he would always have something to say about a pitch. I, I mean, every game. <laughs> you could not you know escape without paul having a discussion i once got in an argument with paul he fouled it off and said was that a good pitch i said yes he goes no it wasn't i'm going what <laughs> what, what, what am i supposed to do now <laughs> <You know? laughs>
4: but, but, it's but, the yankees man they're so
7: entitled those yankees <laughs> well that's a whole nother uh, segment but, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> but but i i remember i we were, we had a we had a saturday day game in cleveland and I had the plate, and and with the Yankees there. And the next day, I'm at third base. Sunday afternoon, there was a there was a pitching change, so there there was a timeout on the field. And Paul's at third base. I go, hey Paul, hey Paul, and he looks back, and I go, hell, he goes, hey, Dale. I go, hey Paul, hell froze over, and he goes, what are you what are you talking about? I said, I had the plate yesterday, and you didn't complain about a pitch. I said, I think hell has frozen over.
8: <laughs> he That's said, yeah, good.
7: yeah, you're right. I think it has. <laughs> That's funny.
0: All right, Dale is the man. Like Jake said, I love I love both tidbits. The Billy Martin thing is wild, and the hate mail he got is scary. Yeah. But Paul O'Neill asking him, "Where'd you have that? You know, or was that a strike?" And then Dale said, "Yeah, it was a strike. No, it wasn't." Yeah.
2: Why'd you ask? Come on, Paul. (laughs) It's a great story.
0: Great. Uh, All right. Next up, we got Sean Doolittle, World Series champion. We had him on. I think it was like one of the longer interviews we ever did because we were just getting chummy with him. Deep thoughts. Like an hour and a half, maybe. And it wasn't his debut, right? It was the first time he got a clo- the, as a, as a closer first save attempt. First save attempt came against the Yankees with like Teixeira, A. Rod, Cano, yeah. and Andrew Jones, I believe. So real we, dudes. He uh, went into that. He knew. He remembered everything perfectly. Here's that.
9: My first save. Um was super nerve-wracking because it was against the Yankees my rookie year and Balfour who was our closer was down that day I believe he'd worked probably three days in a row so they came to me before the game and they were like hey if it gets to then you're gonna have the ninth and I was like all right I'd been in the big leagues for like a month at this point and I was like I was I was just like okay like I'm just happy to be here. Um, and then like the, and then the game starts, the game, you know, progresses and I'm, I'm watching the scoreboard following the lineups and, you know, around like the sixth or seventh inning, you start to try to envision who you might have in that ninth inning, if things kind of stay the same. So you're, you're like, all right, I might, I'm going to probably face this chunk of the lineup. And. You might get the at that time there was a binder in the bullpen that you that had all the scouting reporting information. Now it's an iPad. Um and I'm I like flipped it open and I was like I forget the exact order, but it was like I have it. it here like, It's a crazy It was like, <laughs> it was, like was it Kano uh Arod Andrew Jones?
0: Uh Arod Kano Tashera Andrew Jones is the four batters yeah. you faced in your first save. Yeah at the stadium in a one-run game
9: it was at the coliseum it was at the coliseum in a one-run game a 2-1 two, i believe was the score and i think i think a rod led off with a hit yes yeah, um way. yeah it was this weak broken bat like bleeder to left and i was like all right so maybe like i still have my good fastball it wasn't like a solid hit i was like all right i think i I might be able to figure this out somehow. And then Cano was next. And I was like, I felt pretty good about the left on left matchup. And I was like, I got him. And then to share, I was like, he, he was like one of the guys, him and a rod, especially in that lineup, just had like a presence in the box that I remember just being like, it was kind of like a welcome to the big leagues moment. Um, And I was like, gee, like these guys are just next level. And, and I've been watching these guys on TV for the last several years. And as like a fan, I'm like well aware of what they're capable of doing and what their, <laughs> you know, careers have been like and at some point during the, to share at that A-Rod stole second, probably cause I was super slow to the plate and still am, I, I think I got him looking which I yeah. was I was kind of, I was kind of like what do you what were you looking for like a fastball in like a different spot maybe I don't know <laughs> Well Aaron took had, off that, on
0: him maybe Aaron distracted him
9: Maybe oh okay that was strike 3 okay Maybe I don't know but then and then I had a long battle with Andrew Jones for the final out and I was like you're going to have to earn every single bit of this like if you're going through the teeth of this order with just these names and these guys against the yankees my my mom's side of the family are diehard yankees fans and we've converted some of them to nationals fans after the world series but they still they still they're from north jersey they're still very much yankees fans at heart i think and and um so for me like being growing up hearing about the yankees and and constantly having to be on the opposite end of the family bragging rights and stuff I was like it had to be this way and you know Jones is battling he's fouling off high fastball after high fastball and I was like I'm gonna have to earn every single bit of this man like all thousand of these home runs combined that these guys have in their career I'm gonna have to find a a way to, to get through this, but so it was it was extra special uh, to to nail that one down.
2: All right, Doolittle's awesome. Follow him on social media and stuff. He's uh, he's an interesting cat. <laughs> um, we're now jumping into, and this is okay. Cece, we know you're listening. Don't listen to this part. Uh, our Trevor Plouffe and Oscar Mercado, the young Cleveland Indians outfielders, <laughs> we're talking about uh, hitting homers off Cece. So we're sorry, Big C. Sorry about that. Sorry, dude. <laughs> Here's this Who are your guys that you either modeled your game after or that you just loved watching play?
6: So, my favorite player growing up was A Rod. Okay. And Jeter. I liked a lot. Yeah, huge Jeter guy. <laughs> I think those are because I was a huge Yankee fan. So, I grew up idolizing those guys.
0: Growing up a Yankee fan, was it like double exciting then when you popped that homer off CC?
6: Oh, yeah, that was awesome. And I don't hit apple homers either.
0: That's a big name.
6: Yeah. It was awesome to be able to do that. I grew up watching him all the time. He was so nasty.
2: Did Plouffe get CC? I pumped him. He's on the list. You both got big C, huh? You know what? I have a
4: story about that. Do people care? I don't know. I'm going to tell it anyway. (laughs) I was sick of that game. Okay. And I puked right before that at bat. I was wow. in the dugout in the bathroom and I puked and I was like, flu "Shit, I got, I got a hit." I went up there. Everyone was like, "You all right?" And I was like, "Yeah, whatever." And I just went. And I think that's probably why I was like ready to ambush. I just wanted to get the hell out of the batter's box. <laughs> He's like, "If I
3: stand in here too much longer, my bad yeah. thing might happen."
4: <laughs> and I pumped him. So that's my uh, my flu game story. Thank you for listening.
0: Now, now I'm gonna bring <laughs> up the video of the home run oh, and see man. if you look just like you just puked.
4: Yes, I
2: did. Let's see.
0: 91 uh, right down the middle. Right wow! Down the pipe.
2: Wow. Thank
4: you, Cece. Thank you, oh, Brett. Oscar I probably would have Oscar robbed that one. Oscar gets
3: that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, I'm impressed. That. That, it's hard to get one out of there
4: sometimes. Thank yeah. You. Look how sick you look. Thank you. I, I like look that's... sickly there. I do. Hit yeah, me off the screen. I'm, I'm, <laughs> it's weird. I remember that because I hit so many of them. It's like I yeah, barely remember yeah, yeah. any <laughs> detail not. about them. There's so many.
0: Recently, we had Emma. I'm going to screw her last Yamazaki. name. Yamazaki. And she is the director of a film that's out now on a, a debuted on ESPN all about Koshian, which is a Japanese tournament. It's very fascinating. The whole interview was amazing and interesting because it's not information, I think, that any American baseball fan has. We asked about Tanaka because how could we not ask yeah. about Tanaka? I think Jake's very question is, is Tanaka the best ever? We got her response. And I pointed
2: this out to uh, – I'll save it. I'll save it.
0: And then we also talked about Otani and the decision not to come to the Yankees. So here is Emma. I want to, for our audience, just name the names of players that they know who have been, and we've named a bunch. Tanaka, Matsui hit a home run at Koshian. Um, Daisuke threw like 250 pitches in one day and then pitched the next day. Um, you say Kikuchi pitched with a broken rib. Uh, Otani pitched and lost and you have his post game interview from there which is just so full of emotion. Is there is there always one player that takes it by storm and ha- is that how all of these players that I just named were were they like heroes of their time or were they late bloomers or you know yeah, have you guys they- known these names since they were like 16?
8: Yeah, yeah. I mean definitely like every summer there's just a couple of heroes are born out of those people you mentioned for example tanaka and matsuzaka were really those like in the moment at like 17 18 years old a household name and we still love them for that no matter what happens in their career later it's just like like every Japanese person has like a soft spot for them for that 18 year old that gave us so much inspiration that summer you know um and then there's like other other professional leaguers. like like Otani was always a you know a very like everybody knew he was amazing but because he actually didn't like perform that well his team at Koshien, he didn't even make it to Koshien his senior year, which was a big surprise. Mm. You know, he was you know, kind of decided, declared to go to the, the majors um, out of high school, and then end up joining Japanese baseball anyway. But that was really kind of when when things took off for him, I would say. But then, um, yeah, there's so there's different versions of, of heroes. Actually, Matsui, people know him not for his home run, but the fact that he was walked intentionally walked five times. <laughs> um, at Koscien, which ultimately worked, and his team lost, and that was at the uh, time uh, crazy, the like, controversial, uh, and this pure, you know, pure form of right. the sport it a, you know, it was it was a, a riot basically. So that's in, kind in of in one what game? He's known for. game. Was he two. walked
0: two games? Okay,
8: yeah. So, and so um, he still hit
0: a home run, and they walked him five times. That's crazy. I mean,
8: yeah. he, he'd done so well in his previous years too that by the time it was his senior year, I mean that was what the other team decided to yeah. do. And, you know, it, it paid off for the, the victory. But in terms of the spirit of the sport it was just highly, highly controversial. So yeah, and you know, in our year, um in the Hundred tournament there was this guy, um, Kose Yoshida from from a very northern prefecture in Akita that had never really done very well in in Koshien, who, you know, threw every pitch for his team from the regional through to the finals of Koshien, I think 1,500 pitches over the course of a month. And and he became, you know, really the the hero, although he he um, didn't win in the final. He was like kind of the hero of that year. So there's always like a couple of people. Um, and then there's also other professional, like, you know, Ichiro, for example, in high school, he was... Um he was a pitcher actually, so he like threw at Koshien, but he's one of the kind of more rarer examples of you know, he's most known for like not crying when he didn't make it to Koshien his senior. He was still focused on being a pro and he knew like this wasn't it for him, which Um, Mm. It's kind of an exception I think even those guys who go to the pros and know that they'll have a career just high school baseball is usually like a very emotional thing but you know looking back I feel like people knew like he was a different one um, from that time so each person has kind of a Darvish you know through a lot in high school baseball and there's like just a lot of emotional shots of those players from that time which I you know is. Is I think you know the, the U.S. audience would also be kind of interested to
2: see. I have a question that's not on our list, and a reminder that we're not biased Yankee fans. Is Tanaka the coolest ever? <laughs> he's he, he dominated Koshin, he's married to a pop star, the flowing hair. I mean, he's his playoff era is incredible. Look, uh, give, give us more on Tanaka because yeah. he's he's the best
8: yeah and you know i i'm that tanaka generation where i was in high school when he was in high school and again he he won he almost won koshien three years in a row i mean that's like winning once is like almost impossible and then he did it his freshman year his sophomore year and then his senior year he threw out this epic you know tied game in the final and then came back for a rematch to to, to to lose, but you know he'd really captured our hearts by then. And since then, you know when you see like in Japan, he had a twenty five and season. And then you know you know his how he does in the the playoffs, especially and once he's gone to the Yankees, I think really is he's this guy that is good under pressure. I mean he's experienced it in Koshien as a you know 16, 17, 18 year old, and it's just part of what. know he he thrives on it must be because you know and he's his intensity and focus i think comes out of possibly this environment he was in high school you know like that he was already prepared for these high pressure situations and you know we love how you know emotional he gets i mean you know us in japan because we've seen him grow up you know we've seen every stage of his success we just like really can't get enough of him over here either
0: this is a picture of him that i always look at (laughs) I don't know if you've seen it, but it's him just celebrating. Uh huh. (laughs) It's my favorite. It's my favorite. Yeah. (laughs) It's like so. Have you seen this? It's so much emotion. It it looks like a god on a baseball field. It's so cool. Fine. Yeah. I have uh, a normal question, then I'm going to attach a Yankees bias question on top of it. When players uh, leave Japan to go to uh, the MLB, to go to America, is the Japanese fan base how much percentage is it very happy for them and celebratory cuz they're going to MLB versus kind of disappointed that they're not, you know, playing in their home country and their their time zone and their teams like is there a, a is there any resentment like I wish we could keep these guys here or are they just happy that they move to the MLB? I
8: think there's always a little resentment I think it's also changed that ratio has changed over the years I mean when Nomo went like the whole country was very very upset until he did well and then we loved him but like that was in the you know mid-1990s and then now I think at this point I'm um, you know there might be the kind of the older generation the more conservative generation that really doesn't like that you know like that you know they, they just go there and they want to be they want to stay in Japan but otherwise I think general fans can't wait to see see Otani play in the majors or see Tanaka play in the majors I mean at that point like we just want them to go over there as like young as possible almost because you know what's happened also is that due to different systems like. Um, you know, a lot of these great players have had to go up, like, right after their peak or things like this. At this point, it's like, if you're going to go, like, please go, you know, soon so that you can really, Hmm. you know, do well over there. I think that's mentality has shifted, but I think there's always, you know, that pull of, like, oh, stay here and not being able to, to, to see them, but I think, like, I mean, compared to what Nomo went through, I mean, now, you know, there's always, even, like, you know, Matsui, like, when he decided to go because, you know, he was very, like, almost, like, I think he, like, apologized To you know, at the press conference, for making that decision to his Japanese fans and things like that. But there's a lot of like, it's not like there's a like considerations and like sensitivity that they always have when they leave. But I think at this point, um, we we want to see how they do, and then later on in their years, they can come back and (laughs) and we embrace them as they like try to end their careers sometimes over here as well. Yeah,
0: all right. It's part two of the question is
2: Yankee Homer question. Yeah,
0: when Otani is announced that he's going to the angels is there like a collective grunt in japan like uh we (laughs) wanted the yankees
8: i i mean i remember there's like like an epic complaints from the u.s like new yorkers i remember like these headlines from us us. you're talking to
2: them we wanted them but yeah uh,
8: i mean i think i mean i don't i don't know i mean definitely that the angels were not like very well known as a team, I would say over here before Altani went. You know, like it's not like the Yankees or the Mariners where like you know so many players had gone. So I'm not. I feel like the grunts really came from the U.S. side. I think for here we were we were not as critical. Like we, it's almost like very. We have great respect for the fact that you know. I mean, as you know, like he's he he's, he's he didn't go for the money. He didn't go for like the most popular sport. He really. It looks like he picked what he thought would be the best team for him at that moment as that young player he went as, you know, instead of like being kind of like, bl- you know, in a way maybe blinded by like the best teams offering him mm-hmm. like much more money or, you know, things like that. So I think actually here there's like tremendous respect for that. And maybe also a feeling that, you know, how it's turning out. Like we, I think a lot of people want him to continue to both throw and, pitch and maybe like you know in different other teams like the yankees like if he didn't do well just even for a short time there'd be like pressure to like you know not you know make him right. quit one one of the other things like that so maybe i feel like at the time we felt like oh like if that's how he feels and there's like the the, the team over there wants him to do both like we, we want that as well so i feel like the disgruntled came from new york <laughs> i remember that outrage um, of okay. being in the new york yeah. side but
2: that's fair well he'd, he'd still be welcome um and the final question how cool is Tanaka? No. And that was Emma Yamazaki. She was awesome. I hated that her Otani answer was actually like really good. <laughs> like we we wanted to come back with a snarky joke or something and it's like, "Oh, no, that was yeah. that was kind of a good move by him." So we hate that. And I showed this to BBD after when we asked when I asked, "Is Tanaka the best?" She nodded her head and she let out a silent yes. Like, "Yep, he is. He's he is that dude." Um And speaking of that, dudes, we got a couple power-hitting second basemen back-to-back leaning into their wild-card game experiences, uh, which tie into the Yankees. Brian Dozier, uh, he was in the Twins' wild-card game. Lead-off bomb versus Seve. Lead-off bomb, he said, that was cool, as you'd expect. (laughs) He says it in better words than me. And then uh, I I can't talk about Disco Neil Walker legally, um, but here they are.
0: I got to ask about uh, the 2017 wild-card game. I don't know if you know we're Yankees yeah. fans, so I'm not. But you led off that game with a home run. Is that yeah. is that one of the wildest first? Is that one of the wildest first innings of baseball you've been part of? And then also how would that lead off home run in a, a do or die game feel?
1: Uh, it was it's unbelievable. You know, I actually had like leading up to that. How cool would it be to like lead off the <laughs> game, with a home run? And sure enough, it happened. I've never seen a stadium become so loud, to become so quiet, and then back to being the loudest I've ever heard and in a span of 20 minutes. I mean, because after we put up three in the first inning, you could hear a pin drop, and then dd comes back in the bottom of the first and hits the, th- the three-run homer, and I, that's the loudest stadium I've heard to the day, uh, and probably one of the best atmospheres, too.
0: Yeah, it was a it was a true zoo back in that that playoff run for the Yankees twenty seventeen. That DD D home run was insane. Yeah, oh yeah, that, was, that whole first it, thing. It, um,
1: Irvin couldn't find the strike zone, and we did, we played bad defense behind him. We couldn't hit. and They ran awesome. Do
2: you ha- haven't been in the one game playoff? I know there's been some talk about it trying to expand that, and it's. It's from a fan's perspective. It's incredible if you're um, if
0: you're not rooting for one of the two teams in it. Yeah,
2: um, yeah. but it's also I, I mean it it really doesn't make sense because we play one sixty two to bring it to one game where if someone has a bad day, like you said, like oh, Irvin couldn't find the zone, there there goes our season. Um, you know, yeah. are are you a fan of going three game wild card or something like that?
1: Uh, yeah, I think three game sets are better. Um, just the overall picture because that's what we play the whole year. While just we never play one game, we do a yeah. three-set or three-game set. Um, whether it's the wild card, whether or whether you have to do even the, I don't even like the, the division series or something. If you want to put more three games for the wild card or something, three-game sets are great. Nothing should be decided in my opinion of one game because uh, it's just not really it's not really baseball. I mean, it, bringing up the 17 wildcard game, I mean, you saw, I mean, they started, um, what's his face? What was the guy? What's Seb- the guy's Severino. Name? Yeah. Severino. Oh, what's his face? <laughs> He, uh, he threw a third of an inning. Yeah. Green comes in at those two innings, the comes in at those two innings, Robertson throws two innings and then Chapman. So it's like, I get it's all hands on deck, but I think it's a better way of doing it to kind of actually have starters throw in and, you know, do my wall.
0: Yeah, because it's a whole different brand of baseball from everything else.
1: Right. So, and, you, and
0: you were part of another wild card, I mean, this past season, where you guys – Oh, my gosh. Now another crazy game with a wild ending, and then you take that and go all the way on. I mean, was, is that game the similar vibe? Because Nationals fans, let me tell you this, I, I appreciate – I'm not trying to be mean, but they – get down in the dumps quicker than any other fan base I've seen. When you guys were down in that <laughs> nationals game, they were like crying in the stands. Uh, yeah. Like, it was, bad.
1: It was, uh, you know, they were, they were pumped at the beginning and then uh, I think we got behind three to one. I think that's what it was. And then, uh, I, I don't know if they knew Hader was coming in and he was been lights out or so. I don't know, but it was, uh, and then obviously talking about Juan Soto battling Hater. um, Uh, which is pretty special. And then, um, you know, we got lucky with the right fielder making a mistake and uh, being able to score a few runs. But um, Soto, man, lefty, righty, whatever it is,
4: he's pretty good. That was a crazy at-bat that he put together right there.
2: I want to go back to some of those Pittsburgh teams because those were really good teams. I mean, I I think people – Overlook those a little bit. I mean, McCutcheon got, what, one MVP. He kind of became a star of the league, but that's a dude who, you know, you mentioned some of the different markets. I think if McCutcheon was a Dodger or Yankee or some of those other teams, I mean, he would be household household and luckily social media he is becoming household household right but I want to hear a little bit about you know a couple of those teams maybe 2013 or or what don't people know because I mean McCutcheon yeah he was a stud but like I'm looking at some of those pitching staffs and those are silly it's Burnett Liriano Cole Morton like those teams were those teams were awesome man
3: yeah, I got the big leagues in 2010 and, and kind of got established later on in the 2011 season. I felt like I finally was like, okay, I'm, I'm here. And uh, Andrew was up there uh, a half a season before me in 2009. Um, and then fast forward a little further, Charlie Morton was up there, but he was still kind of struggling to, to, to get his footing and consistency as a big league starter. We had guys like Starling Marte that came along, I think, later in the 2012 season we had a really good first half of the 2012 season and fizzled out in, in April in, in August and September and we knew going into that offseason we were like hey we got a pretty good squad here like we got we got some good players and they did a really good job that year of bringing in Russell Martin and Liriano and um, AJ Burnett and these guys that were that were veteran guys and they had they had kind of meddled a little bit the last couple years but you know, it was a perfect market for those guys to come in. I think AJ was coming from New York or Philadelphia or somewhere like that. Frankie struggled a little bit. I think he was with the the, the, the White Sox maybe and just kind of struggled in the AL. Came over, and these guys just were were really good. Everybody was healthy. It was like the perfect storm. And we got to about – we got to about late May in 2013, and we kind of looked around, and, and we were like, hey, we're legit. Like, we're, we got a chance at this. And, and we were staring down the barrel of the Cardinals. And Cincinnati was still really competitive. Chicago was kind of up and coming at that time. Milwaukee was, was on the downswing for, for, for that year. And we, we were just good. Like, and, and we didn't have, like you said, we didn't have big-name guys. Andrew was clearly our best player. Everything was built around him. Our pitching staff was steady. And Garrett Cole got up there midseason, and he just jumped right in the rotation basically as our number two guy and we were we were one game uh, you know we lost the game we lost the fifth game uh, of the division series against the Cardinals in St. Louis Carlos Beltran had a huge three-run homer in like the sixth inning to to, to to completely separate the game but we were there was not many guys on our team that had a lot of postseason experience and uh, that kind of catapulted us through the next couple years. And people that know that 14 and 15 year, we ran into a complete buzzsaw after that with uh, Jake Arietta and Madison Bumgarner in the wildcard games. Yeah. But we were just as good in 14 and 15 as we were in 13. We just, For we sure. just kind of fell victim to the, we fell victim to the wildcard game. And in 13, we were beneficiaries of the wildcard game. So that's, that's kind of baseball. I mean, think about this last year, the, the, the Milwaukee Brewers had, had the wild card game won, gosh, had it yeah. won. And, and the Washington Nationals ended up winning the World Series, so it's it's crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean that fifteen season, you guys won ninety eight games.
3: Yeah, Damn. and we, we still had to play. We almost had to play on the road for a wild card game. Gosh, that's gosh. that's insane. Absolutely, fans insane.
4: love it. Fans like as a fan, I love watching a one game thing. Yeah. But as a player, and I never had, I never got to experience that. But to play one hundred and sixty two games, when ninety eight of them. Yeah. And then have the entire, your entire postseason balance on one. And you know, baseball, a pitcher can dominate for one game and you have no chance. And that's kind of what happened two years in a row. Now that I'm talking it out loud, I don't like the wild card game. I'm going to have to call Rob. We, we might
3: we might need to look this up, but I believe I'm the leader in the clubhouse for most wild card games played. I, I, I think I have. <laughs> really? So I, I have. I, I've been a part of five. The the one the oh. first year with the Mets, I I, was, I got hurt at <laughs> the end of the year. So three with three with the uh, three with the Pirates, one with the 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 Mets, and then one with the Yankees, and a two and three record. But like I they've said, only been around for eight play. years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> If you want me to be a part of a wild game, wild card game, just bring me on your squad. I guess
4: was that was that. So, what's the furthest you went in a postseason?
3: So we got uh, 2013, very first year. Uh, well, I mean, 2013 and then 2018 with the Yankees. We got the game five of the, the division series against the Cardinals in 13, and then we got to game uh, four
4: against the Red Sox in in 18. So. Um, you know, both, both. What was more nerve wracking. Like, was the buzz, the excitement, the nervous energy more in the D, like the NLDS than it was in the wild card game? Or was that what, or like, how, like, just tell us how the wild card game is as a player. Like, it's,
3: it, like you said, it, no, it sucks. Like, it, it, it sucks. It's, I mean, the, so the, fir- the very first wild card game, uh, Johnny Cueto, we, we faced Johnny Cueto in the, in the, in the and the Reds, and we got up early, and Liriana just shoved, right? The next year, we had Madison Bumgarner, he came into Pittsburgh, Brandon Crawford hit a grand slam in like the sixth inning, and Bumgarner threw basically a shutout, we were toast, no no shot. The next year, Arietta was unhittable the entire year, was NL, uh, Cy Young, came into Pittsburgh and shoved it. Uh, The following year, I was uh, with the Mets and didn't play, but Madison Bumgarner pitched Did the same thing, shoved (laughs) for for (laughs) nine And it was still tied. We we went to we went to an extra inning and and somebody hit a Connor Gillespie. Yeah, that was the
2: Cinder Guard game, right? We we just rewatched that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And
3: he shoved it and Bum Gunner shoved it, and somebody hit a three-run homer in like the top of the tenth inning, something like that, and we lost. Two years later with the Yankees, we played the Oakland Athletics, and uh Severino pitched an absolute gem. Judge hit a big homer early in the game to give us a to give us a cushion. And uh, I think we ended up winning like six to two or six to three or something like that. So, but there's like, it's out the window. The the script is completely out the window. It's not like, okay, well, we got Severino throwing game one and Tanaka throwing Uh game two and, you know, uh, we got it set up to go on the road. It's like, all right, all hands on deck. Like all of our starters in the bullpen, something happens in the first two innings. We're going to go to the number two starter and hope that he can get through two innings. And that's, that's really the way it's been. Most, most every single game, it's either been somebody got a huge hit or a huge homer uh, to kind of extend the game and give a cushion or a pitcher has shoved it. So that's, that's the name of the wild card. Oh,
0: wow. All right, there you have it. Two guys that lost to the Yankees in the wild card game. No, no, no. Neil didn't lose to him in the wild card game. He won with them in the wild card game. We also did the whole conversation with Neil on the Yankees that we dropped on Talking Yanks a couple days ago. If you missed that, full conversation about Disco Neil, about everything. So – you're up to date. Those are all the Yankee conversations we had over on Talking Baseball. If you ever want to listen to the full interviews, you can go ahead and over we over there. We've been doing two interviews a week on Talking Baseball, but season starting, yeah, July Fourth celebration. Then we're coming
2: back here. We're in go time, and uh, you know we're ready. Yeah. Hey, and you know what? Same for you guys. Enjoy the weekend, and then it's we're we got to lock in spring training, summer training for the fans too. Yeah, got to get those fly get balls, ready.
0: you know, emotions out of the way. We're not going to get we're not going to get any games, which is the like I don't think there are going to be any televised got games no games until that uh-huh. Nationals game. Isn't that wild?
2: Yeah, we'll see. I'm hoping MLB figures out a way cuz uh we right now it's set up that they can play 3 games max and you'd assume the Yankees are going to do something with the Mets or something like that. Uh or maybe even before they play the Nationals, play like a game the day before that or something. So we'll see. But you see. think
0: they'll get the whole film crew out? Like it's a lot of money. But then I mean, you would, you would, would think, watch if but they you could also, get it on TV. You also think, you know, the film crew is going to want a dry run.
2: Yeah, that's true too. So yeah. it's a weird year. They always have soft
0: openings. Oh. Story of your life?
2: Yeah. Nick in high school.
0: Soft opening, soft finish, and shitty in the middle. Ooh, <laughs> tough break into the 4th <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about your sex game. Aha! Oh, okay. All right. Well, there's the episode. Classic clip show. See ya. Go Yanks. Tell them, Grams.
1: Go Yankees.